Thanks, guys. It really is the highlight of what we do each week to hear God speak in his word. Um, not necessarily what I'm going to say about it, but in what God has said uh, through his prophet Habakkuk. Um, so why don't we pray together now that God would um, make that word by his spirit mold and shape and comfort us as we think through this topic. Let's, let's pray together. Father, as we have just heard you speak, we ask now that, that we would think through the world from your eyes that we would see things the way you see them. We pray that as we, as we hear this word and understand it this morning, that you would comfort us with the reality that you are God and you are good. And we pray that you would change us, that we might live as people who are fixed on your son because of the amazing love you've shown us in him. Amen. The words of REM say, Everybody hurts. Planes crash. Terrorists kill. Humanity commits terrible atrocities all throughout our world. Sickness spreads. Loneliness engulfs. Pain and suffering and grief seem to run rampant in our lives and the world around us, don't they? Everybody hurts is REM's answer. Everybody cries sometime. Take comfort that it happens to everyone. That's kind of what is there. But is, is that enough? Is that enough for you as you sit through things in life that hurt, that are hard? Where is God when life hurts? Do you have an answer for that? How do you think through that? Do you ever cry out to Him? Why? Why is this going on? Why are you letting these things happen? Why are you allowing them to continue? Why don't you step in, God? I know who you are. Where are you when it hurts? Well, it's in that frame of mind that Habakkuk writes these words. Have a look from verse 2. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? You can kind of see where he's coming at, can't you? There are words that I feel at times as I see what goes on in our world, in my life, to me, to others. I'm like, God, where, where are you? What we have before us in the book of Habakkuk is a, an account from history of a man, a prophet of God who's in a similar situation to us in a world that is hell-bent on, really, destruction. As Habakkuk pens these words, the Chaldeans or the Babylonians, the world superpower at the time, that they're sweeping across the land, ripping apart God's people, the Jews, the one who's, who, who trusts, the, the one who's supposed to be the true and living God, the God who's in control of all things. This other nation is tearing them apart, and Habakkuk writes these words. Just listen to how God describes these nations. Verse 7. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their, their horses are swifter than leopards and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like a vulture, swooping to devour. They come all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. And it sounds like a scene from Lord of the Rings, doesn't it? 
with some terrible enemy wiping out these people. This is no fiction. This is real. These are real people. This is real history. These events actually happened. The Jews are about to get ripped apart by their enemy and, and have been throughout it. And in some ways, Habakkuk is there standing in the midst of it going, God, where are you when it hurts? But surprisingly, Habakkuk's problem is not with the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. His problem is with God. So often when we see the atrocities that happen around us in the world, uh, we can jump to going, yep, look at the the awful things people are doing in the name of religion, in the name of self-service, in the name of money. Um, We can kind of blame people, which in some ways there is a right responsibility there for people doing wrong things. Like That is wrong. But sometimes we go to, to go and blame God. And Habakkuk does that here. He kind of pins it straight on him. See, the problem is with God. How long, O Lord, he says, must I call out for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save? Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Why is he complaining against God? Well, when you understand what God says in verse 5, we actually understand that Habakkuk is rightly recognizing that God is in control of everything. It's one of those truths that really stretch us in the way we think about God and His Word that really pushes us to go, is God actually in control? Is He in, in some way behind everything? And the Bible's answer is yes. Our people are still responsible for their actions. God doesn't force people to do evil ever, but he does use the evil that happens for his plans and purposes. God is a God who is so powerful when he does this. Just listen. Verse 5 of Habakkuk chapter 1. Look at the nations and watch. Be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I'm raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwelling places not their own. Who raises them up? God. Why does God do this? What, what, what is happening here? How, does, how do we respond? Now, a little bit of history is that Israel have rejected God. Uh, he, he had said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And, and they said, yes, I will, we will follow you. They went into, the, into the, the desert and then they kind of rejected God. They didn't listen to him. Time after time, place after place, God's people kept saying, oh, we want your blessings, but we don't want you to rule us. We want to run our lives our way without you. I just, I just don't even, you know, I just want to live a normal life, which is often how I feel <laughs> or how I naturally want to act, that I want to live life away from God, who is the true and living God. And so God had finally said, enough, enough of this. I want to show you that you aren't God, that you aren't in control. And so he sends in these foreign nations to come and take out and take over his people. There's no doubt in Habakkuk's mind at this point that it's God who's bringing or about to bring this atrocity. So he he finishes his plea to God. He makes this final case before the great God who is in control of all things. And I want us to notice, he, he's not just trying to have a go at God. He's not just going, this is your problem. He's not trying to disrespect him, I don't think, in, in any way. He, he's trying to reconcile how the God that he knows, who's loved Israel throughout history, could be, well, I know it's punishment, but so strong to have wiped out. How can he let these things happen? If you love us, God, what's, what's going on? 
Look with me at verse 12, and we'll see Habakkuk's logic. Um, I'm going to read a bit, and I'll just kind of put some bits in the middle. Oh, Lord, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One, we will not die. Oh, Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment, O rock. You have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? Habakkuk's here going, God, you're in control of everything. You see it, right? Everything is at your beck and call, and, but you don't do anything. What, what is going on? Verse 14, you've made men like fish in the sea, like sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls them all up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Habakkuk's like, it seems like God has rescued mankind to make them mere fish to be farmed. That Israel, God's people, are just fish to be plucked out. He says in verse 16, Therefore Babylon sacrifices to his nets, thinking that his nets are what have brought him all this this winning, and, and burns incense to his dragnet, for by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. Is he to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy? God, how long will this go on? Do you see Habakkuk? Do you see his like, desire to say, God, what is happening here? I know who you are, yet I, I can't understand what, what's happening. I will stand on my watch, in verse 1 he says, and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what God will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Have you ever been in those shoes? Have you ever been in a situation for you when life's events, the things that have gone on, make you go, where is God? God, why are you allowing this to happen? (laughs) How do you respond? What do you say? How do we make sense of, of what's going on and yet God being in control? I still remember reading the email uh, from the missionaries, the, uh, a set of missionaries that Sarah and I support. Um, they'd sent an email to our small group uh, telling us that they're good friends while they're in the Philippines. Um, uh, they're missionaries in the Philippines. They're, they're, they're translating the Bible into um, a language for a people group of about 30,000 people called the Higaonan people. They're there and they sent us this email saying that their friends who are pilots um, got kidnapped by terrorists. I remember thinking, why, why would you let that happen, God? Now, these guys uh, were the people that flew missionaries in and out of all the islands throughout the Philippines. This is what they were there to do, to serve so that God's word could be translated into the language of people, so people could hear the truth of who God is and what he's done. And I remember sitting there and thinking, why? This couple were on their wedding anniversary. They had one little holiday. <laughs> Just, just some time away uh, when this terrorist group came into the holiday resort, took them, saw they were Americans and went, right, we'll, we'll take them. I remember praying for them in our, in our Bible study group week after week, month after month. They were still captured, still hostage, praying that God would free these people, that they wouldn't suffer. But a year later, we were still praying. They'd sent photos of them being in kind of captivity pretty hard, uh, there were times when uh, they only ate tree leaves for 10 days in a, in a row before they were given any more food. Like, it was pretty horrific. Why would God allow this? 
And that story is repeated for us in different ways, maybe personally for you with the things that have gone on in your life or for those around you or the situation that, that you're in. What does God say when we're in that position? Well, listen to what he says to Habakkuk. Verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. Then the Lord replied, Write down the revelation, make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. God's word to Habakkuk is, the end has not yet come. While you're there in that situation, while life is going on, while it looks like what's, what's happening, he's saying, there is more to come. Be patient. Justice will happen. I will act. I find it so easy when you're in the midst of stuff and awfulness to slip into this mindset where I want to tell God how and when he should do what he should do. Do you find yourself in that position where you're like, God, if I were you, I would. And you're suddenly like, you know, I would end all the suffering in the world right now. I wouldn't do these things. I wouldn't let these things happen. What's wrong with you, God? Why aren't you as good as me? But then I think about the way I act and the times that I put myself at the center of the universe. And really, if I'd be any better, if I had all the power and authority in the world, in fact, I know I wouldn't. I know what I'm naturally like. We mustn't slip into that way of thinking we know better than God. It's easy to do, but we aren't God. And that's exactly the lesson God is trying to teach Israel. Know who you are. But it's in those moments that Satan loves to get in our ears, doesn't he? He loves to get in and say, yeah, that's right. God doesn't love you. There is no God. This is why these things are happening. If God was good and he loved you, it wouldn't be going on. Just just live however you want. Do whatever you want. Give up. You know, eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and that's it. That's what life's about. Do you, like me, feel tempted in those circumstances to actually just give up? We mustn't fall into the trap of thinking we are wiser than God. As we grieve and weep through times that are hard, as our fury rises at injustice, and we just want to end whatever injustice we see, as we experience sickness and pain and a whole host of things that should not be the way that they are, God's word is don't forget who's in control and don't forget his end. The one who is in control is bringing about an end. The one who is in control is in control of all things. And he has a plan for this world and a plan for you. You see, for Habakkuk to give up on God now, at this moment, to say, ah, that's it. (laughs) I want nothing more to do with you. Would be like walking out of a movie when you're only 10 minutes in. Giving up on a book because, hey, you don't like the first few chapters. And saying, oh, look, this isn't true. I I don't care about the ending. Even though you've seen some really good bits at the start, and then there's a bit that you don't like, it's like, no, I'm out. This is is awful. We we don't know the end. And the, the great message that God is giving Habakkuk is justice will come. The end is good. I will right the wrongs. Trust me. It's too early to make a decision. In the midst of that pain, in the midst of that suffering, it's too early to go, yep, I'm out. Because we do not see the end. 
But God tells us there is an end that is coming. Even though it lingers, wait for it. It will end right. He shows Habakkuk that misery will come upon his oppressors when God's time comes. You kind of skim over verse um, chapter 2 in 6 to 20. I'll just summarize it there. Those who are greedy will never be satisfied. Those who plundered the nations will themselves be plundered, he says. Uh, Those who build their own empires with unjust gain, their very walls will cry out against them. They'll be subjected to God's judgment. Um, Those who build cities with bloodshed will fail. They'll fall. The only kingdom to endure will be God's kingdom. When it seems like everything else around you, Habakkuk, is is, is thriving and, and, and being brilliant and they're doing it with wrong ways, trust me, they will get what they deserve. Those, verse 15, those who get their neighbors drunk to look at them naked. Those who exploit and ensnare people in pornography and gambling and drugs. Their turn will come to be exposed. That their hearts are about capturing people. Those who worship false gods will be shown that their idols don't speak. They aren't gods. They are just pieces of wood or metal. A time is coming, declares the Lord, where all will be put right. Do you believe that? Is there part of the way that you think and the way that you view the world that you're actually like, yes, that time is coming? It's very much the claim of the Bible. The question is, is that the reality that I'm living by, that you're living by. It's not here yet, but it's coming. It's coming. And if there's some part of you sitting here going, look, even this suffering that we see in the world, it just doesn't feel right. You're right in thinking that way. It's exactly the way that Habakkuk thinks, exactly the way God thinks. See, he will right these wrongs. There's something stitched into us, the way God has made us to know there's a, there's a moral order in the world around us. And so what the Bible says to us is, what is the answer to that moral order? How do we see rights wronged? How do we see the world put right? God's answer to Habakkuk is, wait and watch. Trust me, the solution is coming. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. God says, Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? That the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. There's a glimpse of the picture of the future. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of how great God is. Just like the waters cover the sea, everyone will know it. That is the future. And to try and push against that is like trying to stand in front of a train. Going, yeah, I can stop you. <laughs> it's just God is phenomenally powerful. He is good and He is bringing about what is right and justice. We aren't powerful enough to do that ourselves. No one is except Him. God's point to Habakkuk is the end has not yet come, but secondly, remember who I am. Remember who I am. When the end hasn't come, remember. Who is in control? And I think that's the answer for for us as as we sit through stages of life where, where life is hard. Remember who God is. Remember his nature, his character. Trust me. In 2 verse 4 he says, The righteous will live by faith. 
What does that mean? The one who lives rightly, the way to live rightly, is to trust that God's in control. It's to trust that He is good. To trust that His solution will happen where the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord and the waters cover the sea. If you want to be right with me, Habakkuk, if you want to be righteous, if you want to know the right right way to respond, trust me. Trust me. Listen to my word. Look at who I am. Put your life in my hands. Seems to me that it's easy to trust God when life's going well. Isn't it? Yeah, look, he's bringing me all this great stuff. Life's ticking along. Everything's brilliant. But when life gets pear-shaped, it's hard. We definitely cry out to God, where are you? What is going on? We want to do it our way, though. We want it in our time. But sometimes God wants to use these hardships to make us more like him, to help us trust him to the end. We want comfort and ease and blessing, but that's not what God wants. God wants people who trust him, who depend on him, who recognize him for who he is, because that is the best way for us to live. You see, if we keep living our lives like we're in control, we're like a little kid who thinks they can stop the train by walking out in front of it and going, putting their hand there. We're thinking, how can we be in control of all things like this? We can't. So God uses suffering. He uses these times. He allows people to go through hard times to bring about his plans and his purposes, to to mold and shape us so we'll hold on to the end, so we, we don't live under the illusion that we're in control of anything. See, faith comes through suffering and trial. Faith comes when you get to that rock bottom point and you're like, that's right, I can't do it. Have you got to that point where you're like, I can't run my life even the way I want, let alone the way God wants? Have you got to that point where you've recognized that we don't deserve really any goodness from God because we've rejected him? We've said, I want to run it my way without you. God's not only powerful enough to pull us out of suffering, but powerful enough to put us in it. Powerful enough to carry us through it. So he'll mold and shape us so that when the glory of the Lord covers the earth, we are in him. We have trusted him and his promises. When it seems like the world's closing in around us, when it seems what's happening isn't right, trust says, I know this director. I've seen parts of this film that that are good. I know this director is good. I'm sticking close to him throughout it. I'm letting him navigate my life rather than me because I know that in the end, he wants me in him. That doesn't mean we can't ask God to change our circumstances. We can and should. He he tells us to come to him with, with our worries, with our concerns. We should come to God and say, God, please change this. But like Jesus on that day, just before he walked to a Roman cross and got pinned to it. Not my will, but yours. You know, Father, what is the best for you and your kingdom. (laughs) Let me put my life in your hands. Jesus does it with his dad. And he calls us to do the same. We should pray. 
But through our tears, we should remember that God is in control. And he acts for our good. As you get to the end of the book of Habakkuk, you kind of see this shift when Habakkuk finally gets it. We'll look at this a little bit more uh, next week. But listen to how he speaks in chapter 3, verse 2. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds. O Lord, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. Do you see the shift? I remember who you are. I know you're in control. And Lord, please, now, today, act according to your nature, that you are a just God, but please show your mercy, for you are a merciful God. Habakkuk does exactly this. He prays to God, please end it. Please stop it if possible. But I remember who you are. Habakkuk then, from the rest of chapter 3, he kind of goes through highlighting God's acts. That's why it's important for us to teach the Bible to our kids and to keep reading the Bible for ourselves, not just the New Testament, but really the whole story. So we remember who God is and the way he's acted throughout history. That he, he created the universe with words. He talks about the Exodus when he pulled God's people out of Egypt through the Red Sea. He drowned a whole entire Egyptian army. When he, he, he spoke to his people at Mount Sinai and, and said, here is, here is the way to respond to me. Since I've saved you, since I've called you as my people, live this way. He's given us his word. Habakkuk keeps kind of going through these things. Something's changed for him. He's remembered who he's speaking to. Listen to the words of a man who in the face of the terror of the Babylonians, remember this is about to happen. He's regained his trust in the God of history. Chapter 3, verse 16. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. The reality of what's about to happen is real. It's, it's not like, oh, it'll be fine. <laughs> Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go to the heights. Habakkuk refocuses his eyes on who God is and what he's done. Here are the words of a man who has seen God for his goodness and his love and he trusts him. So when, when suffering comes, if it hasn't yet, it will for all of us. We, like Habakkuk, have this great privilege of knowing the God who's in control, of knowing his good, of knowing the way he's acted throughout history. But we're in an even better position than Habakkuk. We have even more of the way God has acted throughout history in front of us than, than he did. We have a greater testimony of God's goodness and love to us on a Roman cross. When God the Son walked this earth and said, For you, I'll pay the price. I love, for God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son that whoever 
believes, trusts, relies in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. And the words of Jesus, why he has come here. Jesus knew suffering. He knew what it was like to be under the pain and hardships of a world who beat him, who tortured him, who didn't treat him as he was, the one through whom and for whom all things were created. A man who on that night at Gethsemane did exactly what God calls us to do. Trusted his dad. Not my will, but yours, he said. It's this model man, Jesus, through his death in our place and his resurrection, that we now know we can be saved. We know that our relationship with God can be fixed. We know that the future that is on offer will last forever. God has sent his, his spirit, the deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. That's what the New Testament speaks of him as. That he molds us through his word to remember who God is. So that when tragedy comes, when your world is turned upside down and it feels like God has abandoned us, we know he hasn't. See, on the cross, Jesus was abandoned. We're tempted to cry out when hardship comes, God, where are you? Where are you when it hurts? Well, on the cross, Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was forsaken. He was abandoned because of our rebellion against God. He got the abandonment we deserved for living our lives without God. For thinking and living like we're in control, that we're kings when we aren't. On that cross, the abandonment we deserve for ignoring God was poured out on Jesus. Exhausted by him. If you trust what Jesus has done, you may feel abandoned. But that's as bad as it gets. Because we are never abandoned if we trust in Jesus. We can say, I know God hasn't abandoned me. He's shown his love clearly in Jesus. And I know in this situation, in this time, in these circumstances where awful stuff happens, I know God's in control. I know he's good. And I know he's molding and shaping me and helping me to be on that last day part of his glory that covers the earth. Therefore, I'll be faithful and patient in him. Just after a year after the Burnhams were taken hostage, uh, the Filipino military, sorry, the Filipino military stormed the camp they were in. Uh, Martin and Gracia Burnham were held hostage there uh, by the Abu Sayyaf, uh, a terrorist group. The Filipino mil military came in and they stormed the camp and they won. There was a firefight and basically they fled. Gracia, um, Martin's wife, records it this way. She wrote, The shooting gradually became more sporadic and then finally stopped. At the top of the ridge, I heard shouting in Tagalog, which is the language of the Filipino military. No sound came from the bottom, which meant that Abu Sayyaf had fled. I didn't want to startle anyone, so I slowly raised my hand to say I was still alive. Immediately a soldier saw me and his partner ran and began to drag me up the hill. My leg had been shot, but I was okay. As I looked back, I saw Martin with a large red spot on his chest. His complexion was pasty white. And then I knew the man I loved more than anyone in the world was gone. And it was then that I remembered the last thing Martin ever said to me. 
as we sat just before the gunfight, Martin looked at me and said these words, I really don't know why this has happened to us, but I know this. Psalm 100 tells us that the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. I've been thinking that a lot lately, what it says about serving the Lord with gladness. He turned to me and said, this might not seem much like serving the Lord to you, but that's what we're doing. You know, we might not leave this jungle alive, but we can leave this world serving the Lord with gladness. We can come before his presence with singing. I want to be like that. That when hardship comes, I recognize who is in control. God's word from Habakkuk today urges us that the movie isn't over yet. But in Jesus, the battle is already won. The end is certain. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. If you trust Jesus, that is your future. You have been forgiven. You have life because Jesus died your death. After a year of intense suffering and hardship, Martin Burnham left that forest in a body bag. But he couldn't have been more alive, could he? For his trust was in the one who had died for him. Forgiveness was his, and no one could take that from him. Don't you want to be like Martin? When suffering comes, when hardship hits, I want to leave this life alive. Trusting in the God who is in control of everything, and that his promises are good, and that his son has paid the price for me. That's why we talk about Jesus. That's why Jesus is everything. And that's why in hardship, we need to put our lives, not in our hands, but in the hands of the one who has already faced death for us. I know that in him, life is ours. Let's pray together. Father God, we want to thank you so much for your word through Habakkuk, for his honesty for his clarity on realizing who you are and the reminder, Lord, that you are an amazing God. Lord, we confess that so often we, we think the world revolves around us. We have such a, a small view of you and we think that there is too much going on. And while it's hard, Lord, we ask that you would help us to trust you, to remember you are good, to remember you are in control to remember your love that you've shown us in your son at the cross and to remember the future that you have offered us. So Lord, we pray that you'd keep molding us and shaping us. And for those here who haven't yet put their life in in Jesus' hands, Lord, please reveal yourself to them. We ask, Lord, that you'd, you'd show us all continually how amazing Jesus is. Amen. Well, I thought what we do now is um, kind of I've explained to you kind of what God's word is saying about how we react, um, particularly in suffering. But I wanted to invite Joy up now and actually really hear the, the second part of the sermon, which is how do you live in it through reality? So Joy, come up the front for a sec. You can stand there.
Welcome, Joy. Thank you. It's great to interview someone whose name's Joy. It just <laughs> always makes me smile. Um, Joy, you, you've um, grown up in a Christian family. Uh, you've grown up where your mum and dad told you about Jesus and that Jesus really was the saviour of your life. Um, yet you've grown up with cerebral palsy. You've had kind of all sorts of hardship throughout life. Even the last um, kind of three years, just walking through um, university, being trained as a teacher. Um, do you want to tell us what happened in the last couple of years with teachers and teachers' education and trying to get job as a teacher? Do you want to take mm. us through those? Um, so, yeah, I trained as a teacher um, from 2011 to 2013, and um, it was really difficult. I failed a practicum and then had to reset a practicum. And then um, when I finished and I'd finished everything and I'd, um, I couldn't get registered, I, I spent another six months getting registered, which they asked me all sorts of questions about my disability. So I had... I mean, I had my qualification, I just couldn't use it. So that was really challenging and really um, I had to trust God through that. And so yeah. through that, I remember um, Joe was in our, our small group and us praying that, that the kind of that would, the registration board would say, yep, that was okay. And uh, so they finally did. They said, yes, we will register you. And then you've been um, looking for a job now throughout that. Um, how's, that been, how's that been for you? Um, again, it's been challenging. I've had some relief work and, um, yeah, just been looking for work. I think for everybody who's looking for teaching work, it's challenging at the moment. Um, yeah, so I've done some ESL work and teaching work and I'll be looking for work again this year. Yeah, so I think, I mean, I've been without work before for a year and now I Although I've had some work, it's kind of been over a year that I've been looking for work, which is challenging. Mm. But yeah, but, but then again, I'm thankful for the work that I have had. Um, yeah. So for you, as you face life, as you walk through you know, trusting God, He's in control, and yet um, you've been born with a disability, and yet you're, you're, you've been trying to use that, how do you keep going? For you, how do you keep trusting God when things just... It seems like for you that over the past year, it's just been hard thing after hard thing after hard thing. Um, well, I know that God is good, and I've seen his goodness in the past. And um, I have a lot of support, a lot of friends and family that really encourage me and support me. And, um, yeah. 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 And so through that support, what makes you go... I want to keep trusting Jesus. Um, I know that in his word that he is good. And I like Romans 8, 28 says that all things work together for good for them that trust God and live according to his purposes. And I hold on to that. And also um, Psalm 139 that says he knows everything in our lives. He's every day ordained for us. Ordained every day for us, and yeah, um, so that encourages me to trust Him. Yeah, and also, I know that everything will work out in the end. Um, when we die, I'll have a different body, but it'll be a perfect body, and um, yeah, yeah, God knows. I remember you saying to me um, when you were trying to get registered and the teachers' council were saying, oh, we're not sure, we're not sure. You're like, I've just got to sit here and trust that God knows what is good 
and, and let him do what he does. Um, that's hard. How do, you, how do you personally make sure you keep doing that? Yeah, it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. Um, I think, well, reading, reading the Bible and talking to friends and praying. And, um, yeah, I think also at one point I used to really want to be healed and I used to pray for healing a lot. And I kind of, and obviously that didn't happen, but um, I kind of then focused on what I could do as opposed to what I couldn't do. And there's a lot of people with that have much worse situations than I do who um, have achieved amazing things. So just, yeah, that encourages me as well. Um, what would you encourage others to do when life feels like it's throwing all sorts of curveballs? What would you say from your experience, like you'd, you'd say? Um, I think I'd say keep reading the scriptures, keep talking to people about problems because that's really important to get encouragement from other people. Um, and, and, and trust that God is good, <laughs> that it is good um, because, yeah, it is. Why, why, why do you still say that? Like some would say, why do you say God is good? If you believe that he made you and he's in control of all things, why is he still good? Uh, I, I have seen good things in my life. I have seen good things in my life, like my family and friends. And, but, um, yeah, I mean, we can talk about um, he's died for my sin that sort of stuff and but in the end things will be perfect yeah mm. well haven't we um pray for you You're happy for people to come and chat to you about how to keep your Absolutely. joy through suffering <laughs> yeah. um i think it'd be great because i think it's hard to kind of show you how great god has been through joy and just how he's used her like it's been such an encouragement to me to see her consistently come back to god's word and go no I know God, I know he's good. I'm asking him to change things, but I'm just going to sit here and trust him. Um, she's a godly sister that you, we have, I have lots to learn from. Uh, so I want to encourage people to, to chat with Joy about how God has upheld her. But why don't we pray and thank God uh, for Joy. Um, yeah, then we'll sing together. Let's pray. Father God, thanks so much uh, for Joy, for the way that you have made her, for bringing her to know you and to love you. Thanks, Lord, for the way you've upheld her just through lots of hard things that have happened in life things that right now are quite, quite raw. Lord, we pray that you would heal her. It's not outside your, your bounds of possibility, uh, that you would see her healed. Lord, we also pray that um, whatever happens we know is for her good, her good, so you would hold her trusting you. You'd mold her and shape her to be more and more like Jesus. Lord, we, we long that you would um, find a job where she could serve you with the abilities you've given her uh, in a way that, that fits well. And we just ask that through it all, she might be a great lighthouse for how amazing you are. That in the suffering and hardship of life, you might enable her to keep pointing to the amazingness of Jesus and the goodness of you and what you've offered us in him. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Thanks, Joy.